It's a great honor to be here with you guys tonight. It's good to see the Cisco's. Uh, it's not very often you get to see other missionaries while on deputation, much less one from the same region or even sub-region. And uh, so that's a special treat for me. It's a great honor to be here with you guys tonight. You made it to the end of the week. Hey, man, you've got the weekend ahead of you now. I figured uh, you would need something to perk you up and wake you up, so we're going to pray through the book of Numbers together and uh, have a good time learning about all the, all the places that the kingdom people of God moved to. Amen. So uh, it, it, it's a great honor to be here with you guys today, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you a little bit about all that God has done. I'm tasked today with, with sharing uh, two, two different nations, and uh, one of them, and the works in both of these nations are quite different in scope. Uh, in Madagascar, the work began over 50 years ago, and I'll begin with them because that's the easy one. The work began over 50 years ago with a man named Denzel Richardson. He was not what you would uh, pick in terms of a guy, if you were to pick a person out of a church and say, this is going to be the guy to launch a work, that's probably not the guy you would pick. Uh, he was, he had been a former alcoholic and was a factory worker, I believe, in Ohio, and so his his background was not anything prestigious at all. It was it did not speak of any any great thing that he was going to do. Just very simple, humble man. Uh, but he walked around the streets of Madagascar when he landed, and he would just cry out, uh, "Does anybody speak English? Does anybody speak English?" And uh, that's all he he knew how to do. That's all he knew how to say. He did not know a single word of Malagasy. Uh, he did not have any Malagasy material. He had. Acts 238 tracks printed out in English, and he landed in a country where nobody spoke English. What a way to start a work. What a way to launch a work. And uh, he, he walked around, and he did that until he finally met one English professor who, who actually spoke English, and he, he talked to him and gave him a Bible study and converted him, and he became one of our first translators. And uh, from there, the work launched, and that was, that was 50 years ago, so... If you are 50 years ago, this is in your lifetime, if you're 50 years old. And today we now have over 1,100 pastors and a quarter of a million saints. And so we have had an incredible revival in the nation of Madagascar. Uh, but it all started with one man. It started with one man that had the faith to walk in, down into the marketplace alone, not knowing uh, any of the language, not knowing any of the customs or anybody and uh, his Malagasy was certainly far from good. I have read some of his stuff and uh, seen his grammar, and it is very poor. <laughs> I have looked at his Malagasy and compared it to mine and going, wow, I'm, a, I'm ahead of him at least. And uh, so I'm, I'm doing all right. And, uh, but, but he was the man that, that started it and launched it all. In the year 2020, we encountered a great amount of difficulties, uh, as did everybody else around the world. Uh, the brakes kind of got put on everything whether you liked it or not, and we had to, to deal with the uncomfortable reality that we could no longer have regular Sunday services, we could no longer have conferences or crusades, and in a third world country, especially like Madagascar, going online is simply just not really an option. Uh, most people there do not even have electricity, much less internet. And so going online was not an option, and so we began to uh, sit down and brainstorm and think and pray and go to God and ask what can we do to move the work forward and there's something you've got to understand about the church and that is that the church can never stop moving forward. We always have to keep pushing ahead. 
Uh, at no point can we stop. If you, can't, if you can't run, then walk. And if you can't walk, then crawl. You, you, but you have to keep moving forward. Uh, the pace may change, but the direction never will. We have to keep moving forward. And so we knew that and we understood that, that as a church we have to keep moving forward. But we begin to ask ourselves, how can we move forward if we do not have a church? If everything, we've been shut out of just about every building, every conference, every crusade. Going online is not an option. What do we do? And I'm here to tell you that we as apostolics have an advantage that almost every other denomination in Madagascar did not have. And that is that as apostolics, we have a keen love for a particular book in the Bible. <laughs> and if you know, you know. If you don't know, I'm going to tell you. We love the book of Acts. We love the book of Acts. We preach out of it all the time. For me, it's the most common book in the Bible that I have read. I have frequented the book of Acts more, I can honestly say, than any other book in the Bible. I absolutely love it. And contained within the book of Acts is actually another ground game on how to have church without a building. The church was in fact not necessarily born in a building like we would think. It was actually born, into a, born in a prayer meeting and then it spilled out onto the streets. Both in Jerusalem and at Azusa Street. You can notice a pattern there with God and how he likes to work. He's more concerned about the prayer meetings than he is your conference centers and there's nothing wrong with having conferences and crusades that's that's all great that's fine I love all of that but you've got to understand where it was born it was born in a prayer meeting twice twice it came out of a prayer meeting and spilled out onto the streets and so that is what happens when you uh, begin to unify together in prayer and so that is what we begin to do in Madagascar every afternoon at seven o'clock we would gather together and we would begin to pray and and God would do incredible things, and uh, he took the fear right out of the hearts of our pastors, and it was uh, absolutely phenomenal to watch, and it was absolutely incredible. I, I could keep you here for hours tonight. I'm not going to. I'm going to keep it short and sweet tonight, but in those, we spent 118 days in quarantine, and I will tell you there are two periods in my lifetime that were absolutely transformative in my ministry. The first period was when I was called in those, those couple of months afterwards where God began to form me and fashion me and direct me in the direction I needed to go as a young man. The second was those 118 days in quarantine. I saw things I never dreamed of. I saw God um, do things that were just staggering Old Testament uh, levels of scale, just miracle signs and wonders, uh, incredible things that I could talk about all night long. But uh, it was a transformative time for me in, the, in that time period of quarantine and isolation to see what God was truly capable of doing even after the missionaries had been cut off from the work and effectively removed from the situation. We serve a God who specializes in the impossible. Amen. Not only that, but we serve a God who sometimes will go out of his way to make the situation impossible. It's hard to comprehend that. But Gideon learned it the hard way. Every time he went to God, what happened? He started losing men. And then he lost his weapons at the end. It's usually not how we uh, anticipate or expect our time, our communion with God to go. We expect revival by addition or victory by addition. Uh, but sometimes victory comes through subtraction. Such was the case with Gideon. There was a lot of subtraction that happened first and then the victory came. 
And so in Madagascar, we were dealing with that firsthand, having to grapple with that uh, cold, hard reality. And our pastors, though, determined that they were going to hit the streets and they were going to spread the gospel street by street and marketplace by marketplace. And they were going to take the word just, uh, just, a, just a couple minutes in one home and a couple minutes in another home. They were just going to do whatever they could. And I'm here to tell you today that in the year 2020, with everything that went wrong, with everything that... Uh, uh, was in our way, every opposition we had to face. We were dealing with famine. We were dealing with basically martial law. We were having to grapple with a whole series of circumstances on top of COVID. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of all the problems and in all the trials and all the stress of what was going on, we had over 14,000 people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. And I'm here to tell you today that it did not happen in a church altar. It happened in homes, it happened in streets, it, people were being baptized in their bathrooms, they were, they were being taken down to the rivers, to the rice paddies. This was, it was not a traditional revival in the way that we expect it, but there's something you've got to understand in that God will have a church and God will have a revival. There is nothing on this earth that is going to stop Him. There is no power. There, there is no principality, there is no government, there is no, no lawyer, no scientist, no politician that can outdo him, outwit him, outthink him, or outfight him. He will be victorious at the end of the day. And in a year when everything was going wrong, in a year that was marked um, by decrease all across the board, by every metric, by every government and economy in the world, the apostolic church grew. The apostolic church grew. In a year when everybody else shrank. And we give glory to God for all of those things. I've come to you today just to give you a quick message of encouragement. And to talk about a little bit about our plans for the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, the people represent over 200 ethnic groups. With nearly 250 languages and dialects spoken throughout the country. Since the 1960's the Congolese have endured over two decades of armed conflict resulting in over 5.4 million people dying due to war-related causes, making it the deadliest conflict since World War II. That being said, the Democratic Republic of Congo is a nation that is hurting. It is a nation that is hurting badly. The people themselves, just the very culture, just the very people, I'm not even talking about the work, just the people themselves, just the average person you meet on the street, has a history of being hurt has a history of suffering, has a, has a long history of enduring great pain and tragedy. The first recorded instances of slavery being taken out came from the kingdom of Congo in the 1400s. And ever since then it has been one rolling tragedy after another. It's hard to imagine that level of punishment for such a long period of time. They have letters from the king of the Congo written in Portuguese begging the Portuguese to stop taking the slaves out, to, to stop pulling people out, simply begging them, saying it's destroying the kingdom, it's destroying the people, it's destroying the land. They have those on record written in the 1400s. And so it's, it's hard for us to comprehend what almost 600 years of suffering can look like. Uh, but it, you've got to understand that it, it is ingrained into the national psyche of the people, that they have dealt with a lot and they have suffered a lot and the work there has, has gone through uh, plenty of things I do believe and 
Brother Cisco, you're free to correct me at any point if I get any of these details wrong. But I do believe it has been near about three decades since we have had a permanent resident missionary in the Congo, in the DR Congo. As far as I know, uh, it's been about since the 90s. And so it's been up on close now to 30 years that we have not had a stable presence. And the work there has, has suffered and uh, they have dealt with a great deal of things. The devil has had his day. But I'm here to tell you tonight that that day is coming to an end. That it's the church's turn now. That it's our turn now. That the devil has had his time. He has had his moment. He has, he has been lit loose. And he has, he has had his time of destruction in the DRC. But that is very rapidly coming to an end as we are going to be arriving there very shortly, Lord willing, God has made an incredible way. He has opened doors for us and allowed us to meet and communicate with people and orchestrate things beyond our understanding. We will be there with the full backing and resources of the UPCI and with the, and with the power and the anointing that God brings. And I am fully anticipating with great excitement uh, the harvest that is going to come. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that I like to bring out from time to time. Uh, it is, for me, it is something that I lean back on many times. I use it as a way, especially as a guy. And I will say this because church involves a lot of emotions. But guys, we have a whole different set of emotions that are not often tapped into. We're not as emotional as women are when it comes to these things. And uh, we, have, we have emotions. Most certainly, but we're very differently wired than women. And that's a good thing. That's why my wife can sit there and want to have a deep, longing conversation with me, and I just want to order lunch. <laughs> Men are more task-oriented, and women want to connect at every level. But there is a quote I found from C.S. Lewis that I think men in particular, myself, can grab hold of that really describes our walk with God, especially through the eyes of a man, as, as a man would see it, as a man can emotionally connect to this. And uh, this is what he said describing Christianity, and I do believe that this, this perfectly fits everything that we do, uh, not just as missionaries, not just as uh, preachers, but as saints, everybody. If you have the Holy Ghost baptized in Jesus' name, male or female, this will apply to you. And this is what he said describing Christianity. He said, enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise. And is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. I said I like that. I like that. Every time I get on my knees and pray. Every time I spend time fasting. Every time I reach for the lost, I'm sabotaging what Satan's plans are. Many times we are, click, we are very quick to point at what Satan has done and say, look at what he has ruined, look at what he has done. But you know what? We can do some things back. We, we, can, we, can, we can, God, that is the story of Christianity. The king has landed. He came in disguise. And he's basically just passing the word around ear to ear saying, hey, if you'll stick with me, 
we're, we're going to mess some things up for the devil. We're, we're going to sabotage some stuff. We're going we're gonna to give him a hard time. And so I'm here to tell you that in the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, in a very short while, we are going to be embarking upon a great campaign of sabotage. We, we are going to be moving in there with all the resources and with all of the, the anointing and everything that we can bring to bear. And we are going to be looking for any and every opportunity uh, to, to find a devil and kick him in the teeth. Amen. Uh, I, I, I do not for a moment believe that we are going to be on the defensive for very long. I have talked to the pastors and, and, uh, and dealt with them from afar and been able to pray for them. And I have been able to spiritually see what they have dealt with. And I have just simply told God, I said, I have not been able to talk to them yet. But you can speak to them into Holy, in, but through the Holy Ghost. I said, if, if you wouldn't mind passing along a message, let them know that we are no longer on the defensive. That, that we are no longer going to be content with holding the line. That we are not going to just bunker down in the fort. Uh, we are not going to be doing that any longer. But we are going to be taking it to the streets. We are going to be going on the offensive. We're not going to hide in the fort. No, that's not how we're going to be. But we are in fact now going to become the Calvary. We are going to be the ones riding to the rescue. We're not going to be the ones holding out hoping that someone else. That, that's the church's job. That's the reason why we are here. Uh, God did not just put us on this earth to hold out in the fort and just say, I'm going to wait for help. No, we, we are the help. We are the, we are the ones that the people are looking for. God, that is the reason God has sent us. He has commissioned us. He gave us the great commission. Uh, we are, in fact, the Calvary. We are the ones that ride to the rescue. We are the ones that go on the offensive. It is not in our job. It should not be in our nature as apostolics to just sit down and just say, we're going we're gonna to just hold the line. We should never be content with that. We should always say we've got to take ground. We have to take territory. And I close out with one final scripture that simply says in Luke one thirty-seven. it says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. When you begin to partner with God, you, you get the rest of the scripture. When you partner with God, you get the nothing shall be impossible. If you do it on your own ability, if you do it on your own talent, on your own wealth, you, you will encounter great difficulties. You will, you will, you will suffer failure. You will, you will meet great disappointment. But, but if you can just take a moment in your life and just say, I'm going to partner with God at the beginning. And I'm just, I'm just going to say, I'm going to do it with God. And because I'm doing it with God, I, I'm no longer going to be subject to the limitations of this world. That I'm not going to be subject to the disappointments that those that have neglected God will, will have to deal with but because I have partnered with God that I am doing this with God that now I am now qualified for the rest of the scripture and that is nothing shall be impossible today we, will, we are raising money for um, our field evangelism account and that will go specifically to the Democratic Republic of Congo Every dollar you give will greatly benefit us. We are planning to take some preliminary trips into the country and to see what we can stir up, to see what we can do. Cisco's probably going to be there, uh, causing trouble with the rest of us. The campaign of sabotage will begin shortly. Stay tuned. You will, you will no, doubt, no doubt be hearing about it. I have no intentions of, of, uh, of uh, doing this subtly. I believe if we're going to blow up a bridge, we're going to blow it up. <laughs> I want the whole city to see. 
I want the whole, the whole town to know. And the apostolics have arrived. We're here. We're here to stay. We're not running off. We're not here holding the line. We're going to knock on your door. We're no longer content to just stay in our church and just patty cake around. But you're going to hear from us very shortly. And so we are raising money for that for our field evangelism account. And we are praying for the opportunity to look for some land to get a Bible college established. I do not know exactly the timetable on when that will come. But I am a person that believes firmly in making room for opportunity. You may not always have the opportunity. But I always like to have the room available. I like it to be there. And just say, well, if it happens, it happens. The worst thing that can ever happen is opportunity present itself and you're not prepared. You don't have it. I've uh, always told people and talked about it with Brother Cisco the other day. I said, I like to ask big things of God. Me and my wife made a list of everything we wanted to see done. And I looked at my wife and I said, that's great. That's wonderful. I said, now let's just double it. Let's just double it. I said, that's what we're going to ask for. If I get anything less than what I asked for, I still got something. <laughs> I'm not losing. But I would hate to find out one day that God would have given me everything I asked for, but I asked for less. Why ask for five acres when you could ask for 50? You never know. God may meet you in the middle at 25. You're still beyond five acres. You still walked out ahead. I learned that bargaining in Africa. They go high, you go low. You lowball them to the very bottom. I'll give you a penny. And then you work your way to the middle. Draw them down. We do have a short little video to, uh, to show you guys. And I, I do appreciate you allowing me just to speak to you a little bit. And thank you so much for your burden for missions and supporting missionaries. Uh, we do have a video, and I will turn it over, over to you.
been helping to develop translators this past year. We plan to continue our studies once we return. We've also been working with the English Club, and that has also brought forth some translators from there as well. language and to further expand the campus ministries. Right now we have a very good solid core group that we've built up but we are looking to expand and to rapidly grow and prosper in Jesus name. 